what better way to celebrate show number 300, JB, than turning our show into a cooking show? What? A cooking show? What are you talking about, Frank? Watch. You better have the unveiling of it. Okay, so yep. Owen, thanks for being our cameraman here. Uh, but this is the chili. This is a lot of chili. <laughs> you have to eat cow. all of it. Now, this is Barb. And Travis Barr, yeah. uh, Owen Barr on camera, and a lot of family back here and friends, uh, so we got that at least. But Barb, uh, you uh, basically made enough chili for three football teams. Yep. Ian, maybe we'll take some back to his Oh, I think there's, it, there's so. good likelihood of that. You looked a little hungry after that game. Okay, what did you think of the game? Obviously not the best result, but... Not the best result, but I do think that they played their heart out. I think they laid it out there and... I think it's a struggle when they're missing guys, and and it's it's a start, and they gotta it's something to build on and learn from. And I, as I said to a lot of people, they made Mount Union earn every touchdown today. It, it wasn't like the sixty-yard uh, dink yep. and dunk scenario that Mount Union's used to. So yep. credit to the defense. Yep, they 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 hung in there for a while, but they definitely got tired. But uh, anyway, couple executions that didn't go our way and little things but okay speaking of tired i'm a little tired when i get tired i get hungry and so i've got to try this <laughs> now i've not tried any uh yet so let's uh There's hopefully it's warm it is. oh it's warm um, okay all right steamed up like coming out of it i don't know if you like cheese in it i am actually not a cheese guy okay. but there you it's go. chili okay. i like There's natural salt and pepper there if you're interested i, I like just going straight in there we go here we go spoon, so let's see what you think okay. first try ian this is all your fault if it's not good, but I have a feeling it smells good. So he says you don't really have a recipe. That's true. I just dump. I literally just dump stuff. I dump the same stuff every time, but Dave, it's different. Dave Portnoy, eat your heart out, buddy. Okay. You can have your pizza. I'll take the chili any day of the week. Bar still my backside. There you go. That's right. So, very good. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, this is, obviously, this is why you married her. Her right. cooking skills. That's right. Exactly. So, okay, got a week off. Then, case, uh, you gonna be cooking for the kids uh, for that one too, or what are you gonna do? No, we'll we'll actually just travel out there. We're spending the night out there. So, Good we'll Enjoy one for once, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll come back to the Grove City game and cook. Yes. Grove City. They're going to try to induce me to come out for that one, I bet you. Because, uh, you should come. You should come. We'll, we'll see what happens. We'll yep. see. But nonetheless, thank you very much yep. for this You're and welcome. for everything. You're and uh, great getting to meet all yes. of you. Thank you, too. you for thank you. everything that you've done and all your promotions for yep. all the kids. So Thank it's, you. It's thank awesome you very much. Well, we enjoy it. They, they make it a pleasure, truly. <laughs> Thanks to the Barr family uh, for uh, that one. Uh, yeah. Definitely uh, very good chili, and uh, they uh, also got me uh, trying some other uh, delicacies from the central Pennsylvania area, including uh, some uh, potato chips whose uh, name I'm forgetting right now. I've got a picture of them, though, so I can go buy them uh, next time I'm through the area because apparently they are very uh, contained into the central Pennsylvania area. And uh, Mrs. Barr's mustard <laughs> is really good as well. Uh, it's kind of somewhere between a spicy and sweet, which okay. I, I really that sounds like. good. And they gave me a venison hot dog. I mean, I, I left there ready to go to Buffalo State after that. Uh, we'll talk more Stuffed. about that trip. Yep, exactly. I'm sorry I didn't bring you any, but hey, you know. Yeah. This is what I get for not going on these road trips, Frank. 
Well, we did get a lot of uh, Where's JBs all throughout the weekend, so uh, there's that. I'm a little bit of horse still from uh, my allergies and talking a lot this weekend, so we better get the show on the road. This is our show number 300. Show number 300 of wow. In the Huddle. So this is our crunch time show, our review show, basically, that we'll do each week. Uh, we're going to have interviews, which we had promised you early in the weekend. Well, listen, folks, uh, after driving a 1,000-plus miles, uh, I needed a little bit of a break. JB needed a little break, uh, Labor Day, all that stuff. We have our uh, post-game interviews on our Wednesday show this week from a couple of the different locations I was located at. And then Friday, we'll have a live show with predictions Actually, it may not be live, but it will will air as premiere uh, on Friday. Uh, predictions and also a little bit of talk about 9-11 uh, as 9-11 uh, yeah. uh, 20th anniversary is this Saturday. I'll be on the road on Friday morning going to the Boston area, uh, specifically eventually to Beverly, Mass., for the Endicott WPI game being played at Endicott. Uh, more on that throughout the week. Uh, and then uh, RPI as well has uh, told me I can attend the RPI Stevenson game coming up this Saturday. Um, masks in both locations, even for media on the sideline. I'm going to shut up. Even if you you're vaccinated and even you're outdoors, it's what what scientific or medical professional came up with that? I mean, kind of goes counter to what we've been told and what we kind of understand is the deal, but. I guess in these times, uh, no one can be extra careful. Although it was interesting um, in the uh, speaking of the times, the New York Times published a little uh, piece this morning that basically indicated that um, you know that the uh, Delta variant exposure things were way over uh, reported, um, and so really the the statistics of the chances of getting exposed to Delta if you're vaccinated are really one in 10,000, not uh, one in 5,000 or even, you know, lower than that. So I think, you know, hopefully with more information, cooler heads will prevail down the road. But hey, if it helps you get into a football game, I guess you're going to do what you got to do, right? I think what bothers me is that these students are allowed to be off campus in these schools and they're interacting with people without masks on outdoors, et cetera. And then we're acting like when they're brought back onto this campus area that there's some kind of fishbowl mentality going on. If, you know, For instance, RPI was sending students out or allowing them to go work out at gyms in the local area off campus. Yeah. You know, and so they're still interacting with people in the ways that you can't control or contain even while they're in the school year. That's the stuff that gets me a little bit worked up because it's like it's a fiction we're playing at this point, a fiction where we kind of like are trying to, you know, pat ourselves on the back to make ourselves feel better. But it's not reality of what's going on at all. And no. I think the student bodies are getting a little tired of it and their parents as well, yeah, to the degree they influence it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially, um, you know, when you look through the weekend, for instance, I mean, I know that one of my you know kids, um, you know, schools now, Florida State, I mean, there were 80,000 people rocking that stadium on, uh, on Sunday night. And it seemed like everything went just fine there. So I don't understand why a D3 football game that's already socially distanced just by <laughs> the fact that it's in Division Three can't um, can't proceed without some basic common sense. But hey, I will say this: normally, I would not actually endure the scenario that it's being bestowed on me with the masks, etc. The only reason I'm going to go do it and actually participate in it is to give the attention to the student athletes that deserve it at those schools. Yeah, and absolutely. RPI's behind the eight ball enough with the uh, you know no. Uh, outside no, no fans <laughs> yeah you know, just yeah. student body basically so you know i'm going to do what i can at field level to give them a good view of things i don't know how i'm exactly socially distancing from anybody else on the sideline etc in the process of what i do but you know you know what listen rpi you come and uh, rescind my uh, credentials if i do something wrong or you deem me as doing something wrong that i've done at every other school that I've been at this uh, weekend, okay? Let, let, let's just leave it at that. I'm gonna do what I do down there. I'll wear the mask, but beyond that, I, I don't know what else you're asking me exactly to do uh, that's based on science at that point or respect levels for your student body, et cetera, because that's what it's about, respect for the student body and the coaches and the families, I thought, but we'll see where yeah. this goes. Um, okay. You know, we, uh, we talk about that we got a lot of games to cover. Like I said, we're going to do interview stuff tomorrow or Wednesday, uh, mm -hmm. so yep. stay tuned for that. But uh, we, we got some uh, highlights from a bunch of different games here we want to talk about. And uh, you know what that means. It's uh, time for crunch time for week one of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. We'll start at Western New England as Springfield uh, came in from across town for the Pinch and Saw game. And in the uh, game, it was 10-7 Springfield. But uh, quarterback David Wells went down early in this game from an injury again. Uh, that's the same quarterback that went down after Chad Shade went down two years ago. So uh, he came back uh, for a gap year and gets injured. We're not sure on his status for the future games. But in the second quarter, Western New England's Adam Raza catches a 48-yard pass from Bryce Karstetter. It's a 7-play, 75-yard drive that gives Western New England a 14-10 lead. At zero left on the clock, though, just before halftime, Christian Hutra gets a 40-yard field goal for Springfield to make a 14-13 Western New England at halftime. Steven Fedorchek gets a 6-yard touchdown pass from Karstetter halfway through the third quarter, though, to extend the Western New England lead to 21-13. Western New England wins the pinch and saw game in that final score. Raza with three catches, 75 yards, a touchdown. The Western New England defense had three sacks, seven tackles for loss, three fumble recoveries, and an interception in that game. Also in Region 1, UMass Dartmouth versus Husson. This was a good one, and it starts with some defense here as Tucker Buzzell, or Tucker Bazell, excuse me, gets a 70-yard interception return for Husson to make it 7-0 for the home team. Three minutes later, though, Mike Vincent gets a three-yard pass from Steven Gaychuk. It's 7-7, but Gaychuk would go down after this touchdown in this game. That's a big problem for UMass Dartmouth 
Uh, you know Gaychuk had left and come back and everything else, and now he's injured. We're not sure on his status. Then late in the fourth quarter, watch what happens here with quarterback Dante Avila-Santos. Santos in the shotgun, he takes a snap, looking to throw. He ought to roll out, he gets under pressure, throws near side, and that one's going to be caught by Antonio Brown. Brown's still on his feet, still on his feet, he's going to break a bunch of tackles, and that's a Dartmouth touchdown with a minute 48 to play. Wow, what a breakdown of the defense from the Eagles. Bad tackling, etc., but still, Brown very agile down the field to get that touchdown, the first lead of the game, and that will make it 21-14. Uh, at that score, and here's the final play on defense. Shotgun snap, takes a snap, drops back, looks to throw, he's looking to his left, he's looking to the end zone, and that's going to be intercepted at the five! And that's how this As UMass Dartmouth holds on, 21-14. Avila Santos with the 39-yard uh, touchdown pass you see here at 148 remaining. That, that's really the story of the game. It took a long time for them to get the lead, but they did it without Gaychuk especially. Finally, or actually, we got two more games to talk about in depth here in Region 1. Endicott 27, St. Lawrence 14. Uh, it was St. Lawrence 7-6 in the second quarter. Then TJ Cranachia with a 28-yard pass from Tyler Groshot makes it 14-6 St. Lawrence. Endicott responds five minutes into the third quarter as Shane Eilward gets a 10-yard pass from Joe Leonard, uh, the no new quarterback at Endicott. It's a 14-14 score, but after adding a 32-yard field goal later, five minutes into the fourth quarter, Endicott's Joe Leonard gets a two-yard touchdown run to make it 24-17. The final score, 27-14 in favor of Endicott. And uh, Leonard with a 24-for-37 day, 256, two passing, one rushing touchdown. And Endicott's defense with three interceptions, seven pass breakups, two sacks, five tackles for loss, and a fumble recovery. Finally, in Region 1, University of New England is uh, blanked by C.C. Uh, Grant and the Coast Guard Bears. That's Grant's first win. Let's look at this game briefly as James Duran gets a 62-yard pass from Tafari Wall to make it 6-0 with three minutes left in the first quarter. There was no more scoring until the fourth quarter in this game. Eventually, it would be 16-0 Coast Guard in the fourth. And there are two interceptions we're going to show you in the fourth quarter. First, Matthew Harkins uh, was intercepted by William Price by Coast Guard. And then later on in the game, Michael Palermo does the same thing against Harkins. So some big plays by the Coast Guard defense makes it 16-0 in favor of Coast Guard. Congratulations to Coach Grant. More on him in a little bit. JB... Taking a look at the entire slate here of Region 1, what stands out to you, even those uh, in the other scores column? Well, I think we knew that uh, the St. Lawrence-Endicott game could be a potential shootout, but it ultimately ended up being more about defense in that game, Frank. And, and I believe that the, the Gulls held the Saints to about 75 yards in the second half, really kind of clamping down that high-powered Saints offense. This was a game that I could, saw, could see going either way. And... Um, Kind of surprised, Frank, that it was really the defense of the Gulls that ended up being the difference. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, it's going to be interesting. It looked like Leonard got uh, his uh, feet under him in that second half, especially. Yep. He was talking to uh, former uh, backup quarterback Kyle Perret, uh yesterday, in fact, and he was uh, touting uh, Leonard as somebody that's kind of paid the dues in that program and has gotten a chance and probably had a little bit of anxiety early on but got it under uh you know, under his belt and started doing well in that game. So we'll see how Endicott performs, especially against a team like WPI coming up 
this Friday, as I'll be there. Let's go to Region yeah. 2, uh, and we're going to start with an interesting game, the way it played out. That's Montclair at RPI. We knew this would be a good game, but we didn't know it would be this good necessarily. RPI was up 7-0 at the half in the third quarter. Eight minutes into the third quarter, Montclair State's first score is on defense. It's a 59-yard interception return by Michael Stefkovich. It's 7-7 now. Two minutes later, not even a minute and a half later, Jalen Harris, he gets a 46-yard interception return, another pick six. six. It's all yeah. points on defense so far for Montclair. It's 14-7 in their favor. Four minutes later, Seamus Nelson, a 92-yard scoop and score. Montclair misses the extra point, but it's 20-7 in favor of Montclair. So guess what? That point, keep it in mind here as RPI yeah. tries to come back. First, here's a two-yard touchdown pass from George Marinopoulos to Riley Convoy. It makes it a 20-14 game in favor of Montclair. With 18 seconds left, watch this magic. Runoff, 26 seconds left. Marinopoulos looking for the corner once again, and the defender is right there. Call from Kurt Stutt on RPI TV is uh, excellent, as is the touchdown. It's 21 to 20. We'll show you more wow. about that touchdown later for those questioning whether it should have been ruled such. But we will say it is good. 21-20 final. RPI wins against Montclair. And the two touchdown uh, connections between Marinopolis and Convoy there make it happen at the end of the game. RPI's defense, is, uh, they held Montclair to 139 total yards on offense. It was a tough wow. offensive day for Montclair, and I'm a little surprised at that. I think you are too. Yeah, I mean, the fact that their defense scored three touchdowns is saying a lot, but the fact that the offense couldn't really muster anything is a little bit of a head-scratcher with the talent of Jaquil Birch and, and what we thought was coming back into the fold there um, uh, for the Red Hawks. But uh, no rest for the weary, Frank. Both teams have really big games coming up in Week 2, so they're going to have to put this one behind them. Um, you know, Convoy, I don't know if he's got uh, – you know, nine lives or, or whatever, but that second catch was sort of a fluky, you know, just right place, right time. The defensive back did what he thought was the right thing to do to bat the ball away. He just didn't realize he was basically passing it to a wide open <laughs> opponent. Uh, you know, well, like you said, well, more on that in a little bit. This game uh, on our list, uh, no video, but we wanted to highlight it. Cortland 38, Wittenberg 16. That's a big win against a quality team by uh, Cortland there. As Kurt Fitzpatrick gets his first win for the Dragons, or as their head coach. Breeze Segala, yep. uh, Segala, excuse me. Uh, you may even recognize the last brother. name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a brother of the former quarterback. 278 total yards, uh, two passing, one rushing touchdown uh, in that game. So uh, Breeze Segala, uh, Segala, you know, we, we got to get it right here. Breeze Segala. Get used to that name. Uh, then a game I attended. It was St. John Fisher at Buffalo State. And uh, we're first going to show you clips from when I wasn't at the game yet because that was a long drive for Westminster for me. And okay. Fisher was up 14-7 to in the third quarter after a one-yard Demir Prost run. 17 seconds later, though, Tariq Nelson gets this 80-yard pass from Cam Sianco. It makes it 14-14 to midway through the third quarter. 
Two minutes later, Fisher responds. Jonathan Lettig gets a 22-yard pass from Hunter Walsh. He makes it 21-14 in favor of Fisher. The fourth quarter was all about defense, though. First, Omar Robinson tries to rush for a short first down of a fourth and one from the eight-yard line of Fisher, and he can't get it as Dan Purcell and Evan Strasburger converge to make the tackle. So turnover and downs there. Still, Buffalo State would have one more chance with 133 left. They get the ball. Look at this pass and catch from Cam Sianco to Cam Crozier. A 40-yard catch here. And boy, this was a close call, but his foot was definitely down inbounds was Crozier's foot. And it makes it a first and 10 at the 30-yard line of Fisher. But then four plays later, Sianco tries to find Naz Jackson and cannot find him. It's incomplete. Ball turned over and down. St. John Fisher wins 21-14. Buffalo State outgained Fisher 450-283. I'm surprised by that stat, I'll tell you. And Demir Prost with 142 yeah. total yards, including one rushing touchdown. Uh, defensive back Justin Rodriguez for Fisher with two interceptions in the game. And finally in Region 2, Christopher Newport 28, Washington and Lee 24. Uh, I was watching the Lee up 14-7 late in the first half, but... Xander Jedlick with a 30-yard, 36-yard pass from Matt Dzerski, uh, I believe is the correct pronunciation. And we'll go with that until we're told otherwise. It's 14 to 14 now, and a third, a scoreless third period. He said led to a fourth quarter of a lot of scoring. Two minutes into the quarter, it's Jedlick again from Dzerski. It's 21-14, Christopher Newport at that point. But Washington Lee responds two and a half minutes later. Kobe Kirkland with a 20-yard touchdown run. It's 21-21. We have a tie. Then they take the lead on a 35-yard Arturo Ramirez field goal to make it 24-21, Washington Lee. The last score, though, it was in the favor of Christopher Newport as Dzerski carries it himself from six yards out for the touchdown capping a 13-play, 96-yard drive. It's 28-24 final in favor of Christopher Newport. And Dzerski had a day with two passing and two rushing touchdowns and a 313-total-yard day. Again, JB, what sticks out in Region 2? Well, I mean, there were definitely some some great matchups in, in this region, uh, you know, some kind of crazy, crazy endings. I mean, that uh, Zersky final touchdown reminded me of like the 98 John Elway, you know, helicopter TD where he, you know, he kind of worked his you know, flies through the air into the end zone. And and uh, I know that, that Pat Coleman mentioned it on Around the Nation. Really, for me, is watching this as just a fan was just seeing the joy on the Christopher Newport sideline, particularly with. Uh, Dzerski's a celebration. He like you know gets knocked down, <laughs> trips over somebody. Like they were so ecstatic um, about that that play. And for me, it was like this is what it's really all about. You know, these guys play for the love of the game. It's been so long. I, mean, I know that Christopher Newport had a couple of spring games. Uh, neither went their way. So they haven't had a chance to really celebrate a win in about two years now, Frank. And um, you know, just across across Region Two, some really uh, outstanding performances. But this one kind of stood out to me. Um, just what D three football is really all about. Here, here, sir. And let's keep going here now to Region Three. And we're going to start with the game that we were watching with a lot of attention because of uh, some of our own prognostications that we've done. It was Washington Jefferson versus John Carroll. In a scoreless first half, it was John Carroll getting on the board first a minute and a half into the second half as Demarius Goodwin gets a 37-yard touchdown run to give John Carroll the 7-0 lead. Later, Washington Jefferson's Andrew Wolf gets a 65-yard touchdown pass from Justin Heacock 
It's a 7-7 score now, three minutes into that second half. We'll go to the fourth quarter, nine seconds into it. Andrew Wolf, a 56-yard pass from Heacock, makes it 13-7 Washington Jefferson after the Disbro kick failed. Four and a half minutes more later, Andrew Wolf again, this time from seven yards out from Heacock. The two-point conversion pass is good, and it's a 21-7 lead for Washington and Jefferson. W&J did, uh, or excuse me, John Carroll did respond with a touchdown, make it 21-14, but it's not enough as Washington Jefferson's three touchdowns and those 21 straight points took only eight plays total because they were three, three, and two-yard drives, or three play drives. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quick. Quick scoring, uh, not prolonged drives, but it gets the job done. 21-14 final. Wolf with eight receptions, 172 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Floria for uh, John Carroll had a 24 for 35 day, 257, one touchdown, but he was sacked four times. Credit to the defense of Washington and Jefferson. Randolph Macon, yeah. 31. Dickinson, 21. Let's watch this one for a second here. As Dickinson led 14-3 in the first, but just before halftime, it was Joey Hunt getting a five-yard touchdown pass from Presley Egbers, our former guest from the spring. That made it 14-10 Dickinson. And then in the third quarter, halfway through, it's Holden Hodge. Love that name from Presley Egbers. 17-14 now in favor of Randolph-Macon as they take the lead. Randolph-Macon would add another touchdown seven minutes later in the third quarter as Nick Hale gets an 18-yard touchdown run. 21-14 Randolph-Macon there. It was 21 unanswered by Randolph-Macon all told, but the final was 31-21 as RMC, as they get called often, would dominate <laughs> that second half. They trailed, uh, as uh, we see there, and Hale with two rushing touchdowns. Princeton Douglas for Dickinson, though, with 94 total yards of his own. We'll look at Hanover in center. Hanover, a team that we were looking at as a ranked team, essentially, but uh, they did not uh, win this game as it was back and forth quite a bit. The teams traded touchdowns in the first quarter, and it was a center 7-6 to lead early. Then they added some more points at center a minute into the second quarter as Sam Murray got a 35-yard touchdown pass from Trenton Dupper and made it 14-6. Then Sam Murray gets a 5-yard pass from Trenton Dupper. It's, it's the dynamic duo there for two touchdowns early in that second quarter, now 21-6. Before halftime, center extended the lead. Well, actually, it was still a 15-point lead at 28-13, but then the comeback starts three minutes before halftime as Jared Frank gets a 26-yard pass from Matthew Weimer. It's a 28-19 halftime lead for center. Then it's getting closer as Hanover's Sean Cohn gets a three-yard touchdown run with six minutes left in the third quarter. Center's lead is down to two points, but they respond a minute 20 later as Jordan Gunner gets an 18-yard touchdown pass from Trenton Duffer. Duffer is just getting some great stats right after that spring that he uh, had his name called quite a bit. He continues yeah. with that 35-26 lead. Later in the game, we'll fast forward to a one-possession game still. Dupper puts it away with his feet five minutes into the fourth quarter with his 18-yard touchdown run. That made it 49-34. The final was 56-34 in favor of center in the game with the most points that we're highlighting uh, throughout this uh, week one, 90 total points between the two teams. And uh, wow. you look at the stats here, Dupper with 307 total yards, three passing, two rushing touchdowns. Armand Wells with 16 solo and two assisted tackles for center. That's a great job right there, including a tackle for loss, which was a sack. Finally, our only overtime game we're highlighting here, Southern Virginia at Wilmington. 
Wilmington jumped out to a 14-0 lead early, but uh, Schenck gets a 33-yard pass from Pinkston here to make it a 14-6 lead in favor of uh, Wilmington. We're, we're missing the uh, first names here, so we're just going with last names on our uh, box score. And uh, we never filled those in, but we'll just go with it here. As Southern Virginia's Wester gets a 52-yard pass from Pinkston in uh, the end of the second quarter. So at halftime, we had a 20-13 Wilmington lead. In the third quarter, Dallas Rawlings, now we do have first names, had a 33-yard pass from Derek Larimer. They get some home cooking going on in the stock score. So it's a 27-13 lead. Wilmington makes it. But after a TD two minutes later, Southern Virginia has a chance to tie. It's Francois with a seven-yard pass from Pinkston. They choose not to go for two. It's a 27-26 lead for Wilmington. But the teams do trade touchdowns one more time. And in the fourth quarter, here's the two-point conversion play with 624 left. And Southern Virginia does get the tie eventually. So we do go to overtime. Southern Virginia goes first. And on second and goal at the one, it's Nelson with the one-yard rushing touchdown to give the advantage over to Southern Virginia, 41-34. Here's Wilmington's last chance, fourth and goal at the three-yard line. Derek Larimer's pass is incomplete to Itika Wynn Jr., and that will do it. It is Southern Virginia winning 41-34 in overtime. Uh, that 14-point uh, rally a couple of times they needed to do it really in that game. Uh, they did succeed in overtime to do it. I think it was their first lead was in overtime with the win. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. They, they trailed the entire game. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pinkston with th- 15 for 28 day, 355, and three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Got to give him uh, props right there. Region 3, my friend. Yeah, uh, and Davis Pinkston, first name of the uh, the winning quarterback there for uh, for the Knights. Yeah, uh, definitely some great, you know, really much, some some closer games. Uh, obviously, the center game turned into a bit of a, of a route with a lot of points put up. Um, but if you you kind of look across the the region, there were some some close calls. Uh, Barry almost lost to Maryville. They hung on for a twenty to fourteen win there. Um, Birmingham Southern was losing at halftime before they took off and. and rattle off several points they have a big game coming up um, this saturday there in birmingham that we'll be probably talking about in our friday show against huntington let's go to region four etc here four five and six and we're going to first talk about the mount union westminster game that i attended our number one team in the preseason showed themselves to be such although westminster is definitely banged up on offense and we know that from talking to coach benzel yep. about losing their two top receivers coming into this first game First quarter, it was Josh Petroselli with a 21-yard touchdown run four minutes into it to make it 7-0 Mount Union. Then six minutes later, DeAndre Parker gets an eight-yard touchdown run of his own. It's 14-0 Mount Union. Westminster would not go away quietly early as four minutes later, Chevy Dawson with a 28-yard pass from Cole Konechka made it a 14-7 game. Still in favor of Mount Union, but Josh Petroselli, this is number two of four rushing touchdowns on the day by Petroselli. This from three yards out made it 21-7. to And also before halftime, let's take a look at this defensive play by Giovanni Witter. Uh, he just out of midair, picks off Konichka. And wow. uh, that's, that was at the Mount Union 14, so it tells you that he stopped a possible scoring drive by Westminster before halftime, and that was important just to keep the tenor of the game in favor of the Purple Raiders. They win the game 48-7. They outgained Westminster 552-151, to and the defense held Westminster to three rushing yards, 
had three sacks, nine tackles for loss, and two interceptions. And also, probably the game of the week in terms of national prominence meeting close game effect, it was Aurora at St. John's. Before halftime, Aurora took its first lead of the game. It was tied at 14 before this play, which was Brock Harner getting a nine-yard touchdown pass from Gavin Zimbelman. Uh, Aurora's extra point was blocked, so the halftime score was 20-14. to 14. In the third quarter, three minutes into it, Alex Larson gets a 26-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Syverson. It's a 21-20 St. John's lead. Three and a half minutes later, Cameron Moore for Aurora, though, gets a 10-yard touchdown pass from Gavin Zimbelman. It's 27-21 Aurora now. Eventually in the fourth quarter, St. John's trimmed the Aurora lead back to three points with a 25-yard Connor Pavelko field goal. But in that fourth quarter, three minutes left, St. John's Devin Voke with a nine-yard touchdown run. Two-point conversion rush by Syverson is good. So all told, the score is now 39-33 St. John's. Let's look at the ensuing drive by Aurora. First, it's fourth and one at the Aurora 44. Zimmelman with a pass completion of Michael Boland for 28 yards gets it to the St. John's 28. Eventually, it's third and goal at the St. John's 7. Zimmelman gets it to Matt Piasecki excuse me, for a six-yard gain to the one-yard line. Timeout St. John's, 17 seconds left. Fourth and goal from that St. John's one-yard line. Fourth and goal for the one. They run a man jewel in motion. Zimmelman's going to run right, and he's oh, got the ball. ball. The ball is loose, and the Johnnies have it. Oh, my goodness. The Johnnies force the turnover, and they come up with a football, and they win the game. Colin Fran stripped the ball, and I'm not sure which defensive lineman fell on it, but I'm glad he didn't try to scoop and score. Johnny's magic lives, and they win 39-33 as Colin Grant has forced that fumble. Uh, incredible job by him in what looked like Aurora going in to win the game. Zimbelman, though, had a day with 23 for 44, 341, and five touchdowns. Other scores, there's plenty of them in regions four through six. We can't even fit them all on this page. So these yeah. are the highlight <laughs> games. So, yeah, we apologize for any teams that we just weren't able to squeeze in here. We tried to uh, to cover as much as we could. Um, as I, I mentioned before, um, Oshkosh had a close call with Huntington. And, and actually, Frank, it's been kind of interesting. I. You know, I know that there's been some back and forth that we've had about the, the D3Football.com top 25. Like, why do they have Mary Harden Baylor number one instead of Mount Union? One person in the entire, you know, 25 or how many of you guys gave one vote to Huntington. Uh, they they were leading that entire game against Oshkosh, who I believe is ranked number nine. They, they, they weren't trailing until about six minutes left in that game. I was able to catch a good portion of it. Kind of surprised that Huntington's not getting a little more respect. I know we, you know, we've we've kind of poked some some you know fun at them a little bit with the whole you know coin toss thing in the USA South during the springtime. But you know, look at this. Here I am. I'm I'm on my soapbox. You know, here saying that the that the Hawks should get a little more national respect after really pushing the Titans to the brink. And the Titans honestly are lucky that they got out of there with a victory. To be honest. After all that said, I'm going to tell you that was crunch time for week one of the fall 2021 Division Three college football season. So coming out of crunch time, I wanted to just take a second here to talk about the RPI touchdown that put them over Montclair State 21-20 in that game Saturday. 
Uh, there was some question controversy about it, so we'll take a, cl a closer look at it and uh, kind of in a slow down zoom version after looking at the real time version, you'll see that the ball does get dislodged and the player, uh, the receiver that uh, caught the ball eventually uh, does have the ball hit the ground, it looks like, when he's out of bounds himself or at least is dislodged when he's out of the end zone. Now, the one thing to watch for here is that the player did get a second foot down, and while college football requires one foot, it also requires a, quote, game, uh, move common to the game uh, type of uh, catch rule. And uh, talking to a retired official from college football uh, that we are friends with here, uh, his assessment was that at the end of the day, that second foot is as close to a football move as you're going to get in Division three or college football or anything else that the hit that dislodged the ball came immediately after that and because of that fact that touchdown is a good touchdown that should have been uh, ruled as such and was uh, if it had come let's say a fraction of a second earlier the hit that dislodged the ball it would have been pretty uh, I guess able or an official would have been able to call it a non-catch uh, because the ball would have been dislodged before complete control. But in this situation, it looks like in the bang-bang play it was, touchdown was a reasonable and correct call under the circumstances. So touchdown RPI, 21-20 final in that game. I'm going to uh, now go back and say, you're right, I probably should have considered hunting in more in my own ballot, and I'm <laughs> going to keep them right there. I, I, I admit when I'm you know, a little bit off on certain things, and that one you might be absolutely right on. We'll, we'll see how it plays out over the next week or so, because obviously there's more football to be played. I can't guarantee I'll put them into my ballot next week, but we'll see where yeah, it goes sure. from there. there. It is not a slight on Coach Turk and his crew, and it has nothing to do with the spring, which they really, at the end of the day, had not much to do with beyond taking the coin toss. So nobody yeah, has hard feelings. Yeah, out of their control, now. yeah. yeah. Uh, let's look back at week one as an entirety here. I mean, what a great feeling it was to be back. Um, you know, I went to the FDU uh, game. Uh, Merchant Marine dominated that game. We'll have some uh, reactions from that. Offensive line show. of the week. Yep, and with good reason for that. But, uh, you know, we've got a situation brewing generally where you've got Springfield in the new Mac right now with a quarterback issue. They lost two quarterbacks in that game versus yeah. Western New England. WPI struggled against a Worcester State team that we didn't have much thought of, you know, positivity on coming into the season. No. And Merchant Marine eventually shakes FD, FDU Florum uh, in their game. Um, mm -hmm. This is looking like an interesting new Mac season, to say the least. Yeah, and let's not forget Catholic, who put up 40 points in their game. Um, so, you know, I, I view the, the new Mac as pretty wide open. Um, I think the CCC has some uh, potential contenders. Salve demolished Norwich 38 to nothing. Joey, Mo Joey Morello had, you know, 240, almost 250 yards rushing. Uh, Coach Gil Martin is. Yeah, is going to uh, you know have some some fun at my expense because I I thought that maybe Norwich would have given them a, a, a closer game, um, but hey, you know in, in Region One there seems to be a lot of potential contenders. Um, you know, Del Val looked pretty awesome against Kane. Uh, you know their their matchup though this weekend with with Montclair makes me scratch my head though because if Montclair's offense can't do much against RPI's defense, what are they going to do against Michael Nobile and company um, and the Aggies? 
that you know I, I, our was our visit to Montclair like uh, do we like curse them for the season Frank are we bad luck here I mean come on <laughs> it, it's possible then we look at region two going into that Montclair discussion a little bit more yeah. here uh, and uh, what happens in the NJAC the NJAC I, it almost feels like it's Salisbury and Salisbury at this point. Uh, they looked yeah, very tough good. weekend for them. Yeah, the to the, the NJAC, I mean, because I think pretty much every other team uh, <laughs> ended up losing, uh, unfortunately, except for um, except for the Gulls, who looked kind of what we expected. They, they're a very strong team, and they have a huge game coming up this weekend against Wisconsin Whitewater, which dominated Carthage um, pretty easily. So that will be probably the game of the weekend um, for week two uh, with apologies to um, Birmingham and, 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 uh, and Huntington. But, you know, the Hopkins looks like they're back. They, they really, uh, you know, plowed it on with uh, 53 points against the Mustangs. Um, Utica had a solid win. Widener knocks off Rowan in, in their annual rivalry game. Brockport, um, I think their defense had like eight takeaways, Frank. They, they play Ithaca in week two. Huge game for, for this region. And your alma mater, Union, um, our friend uh, Will, William Bellamy, the, you know, the mustache cowboy gunslinger, um, you know, nearly perfect game for him passing-wise, lots of touchdowns. The Dutchman looked like, you know, it's 2019 all over again. Yeah, you know, and uh, one other thing, we're looking back at the slide here, uh, Brockport uh, in Framingham State, I, I think that's an interesting dichotomy game because I don't think Framingham State's the same team we saw two years ago, that's for sure. No. And I don't know what we learn about Brockport besides they can score points against a team like Framingham that's probably a little behind the curve right now. Um, so we'll, we'll see where this goes. I, I, I'm not sold that Brockport's going to be Ithaca at this point in time. I'll be honest with you. Ithaca hmm. uh, is a team that can definitely bite you uh, when they need to, and their defense, I think, is going to be pretty strong against that Brockport offense. We'll see what happens, So coming up this Saturday, and well, predictions on Friday, obviously. Uh, Region 3. Uh, wide open scenario across the board. What yeah. do we learn about uh, Mount Union, uh, Westminster, specifically about Westminster? Uh, the longest pass play was 37 yards by Mount Union. That surprised kind of a most surprise. People. Yeah, 48 to 7 score. Mount Union, you would think that there'd be kind of uh, bombs away downfield with that kind of score, but really it was no missed assignments once they caught up to the uh, ball on defense. That was the problem. They gave up yards, but they didn't miss tackles ultimately that led to stupid long touchdowns in those situations. So credit to Westminster with kind of their fortitude throughout that game. Sure, they needed to score a lot more points and their offense needs to find some ways to score now if their uh, receivers yeah. are injured. But that means that we have a wide open pack. And yes, I flipped my ordering and put Washington Jefferson above Westminster at this point because until we see what offensively Westminster can do with what they've got, I have to give the nod right now to Washington Jefferson after that big win against John Carroll. Yeah, and speaking of the nod, thank you, Coach Sheriani and the presidents, for making us look good with our you know, placement of you guys above John Carroll in our national poll. <laughs> Close call there for a little while. I was like, oh, Frank, we might be eating some crow come Sunday. But um, just an impressive defensive performance. Uh, 
you know, back and forth game. I mean, Carroll was, was obviously up to the task. Ultimately, it, you know, it was the wolf um, <laughs> that bit them uh, with the three touchdowns. Definitely one of the better offensive performances of the weekend. And, yeah, this, uh, this president's team looks like the real deal in the pack. Yeah, agreed there. Uh, the SAA is uh, a question mark because we had two games canceled in the SAA. Ultimately, I believe it was, or that involved three, SAA teams. Or was it three? We had a lot of cancellations, so we can't make out much there. Uh, the pack looks like it's going to be quite a wide open five-team race as of right now. Uh, Carnegie Mellon still is in that as they gave Whitworth a good challenge, uh, to say the least. They did. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, with some of these uh, conferences that we saw a lot more of in the spring and see if the cream from the spring rises to the top again or if that was kind of a one-hit wonder. Yeah, and, and one one conference that I have sort of you know, penciled down is some something that I'm keeping a close eye on is is the ODAC, Frank, because, um, you know, you saw uh, – you saw uh, Hammond Sydney lose uh, in their game. They got, you know – Pretty much three touchdown loss to uh, Baldwin Wallace. Uh, we saw Randolph Macon struggle against the Dickinson team, which for the last couple of years, at least in the Centennial, has been, you know, kind of average at best. Um, you know, we did see uh, Shenandoah fight back and, and and beat Methodist, who was in the spring um, USA South final. So I, I think you know maybe the the importance that we had placed on the, you know the spring season. Uh, translating to, to more wins in the fall. Maybe that, that hypothesis will prove to be incorrect. Um, one other game that we did miss, Frank, as far as cancellations was Knox against Westminster of Missouri. That was another game that got canceled. So I think there were only four a, a, over the weekend. Um, but for the most part, the SAA should be back up and running. Um, I know Hendricks has a big game with uh, – River Falls out of the of the WIAC, so that's definitely another a big game that we'll talk about on Friday. And uh, in the final uh, grouping here of uh, regions four through six, Aurora has got that uphill battle coming up here against North Central. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you got to brush it off and pretty much get back to work if you're Aurora here, because uh, obviously you're looking at the Pool A bid as you, probably your only way in, but you still don't want to get yourself in a position where you're not bracketed against the top team right off the bat at eight and two, let's say if you're Aurora later on. So we'll see how that plays out. Mount Union is Mount Union. Uh, I was not surprised yep. by what I saw, except for more running than passing to a certain degree, although they got a good chunk of passing yards too. Don't get me wrong in that. And mm -hmm. uh, out, out West, good to see football kind of completely back out West. Um, you know, Nothing hugely surprising beyond the fact that Whitworth, uh, getting that win versus Carney Mellon, that was a real test to see, yeah. you know, when you're out on the island over there, having a team come in like Carnegie Mellon that we know is a perennially good team, how would they perform against an out-of-region team like that? And the answer was very well. Hold on. Okay, JB, uh, one thing uh, we have not looked at yet are the JB Week 1 MVPs, and I'm going to let you take us through your MVPs. <laughs> we have four of them, not just three like we normally would because we yeah. want to give a great shout-out here. Could give a couple shout-outs, actually, in the category for head coach uh, when you think about it with uh, Fitzpatrick yeah. uh, down at Cortland, but uh, that was not technically his first head coaching win because he came from Morrisville, obviously. Yeah, and you know this, I guess, is kind of the equivalent to the uh, – 
d3football.com's you know game ball section and you know the, the guys that they highlighted certainly well deserving and you know there was probably 10 or 15 uh, different players in the 100 you know plus games over the, the long weekend that we could highlight here but for me personally just as a fan um, these these guys are the ones that sort of stood out uh, as I said before sophomore quarterback Mike uh, Matt Dzerski from um, Christopher Newport, you know, 300 plus yards of offense. They wouldn't have won that game without that crazy touchdown run at the end. And that you know, celebration that ensued was just something that, that really, um, you know, talked to me and, and uh, what a great win for the captains over uh, a Washington and Lee team that they, you know, probably normally wouldn't uh, get a chance to compete against. So great start for them. Um, Kyle Prisky, Scavage, which is a pretty interesting last name. And uh, uh, it's funny, the the King's College uh, social media team referred to his long blonde locks as cabbage. And apparently he was a, a pretty clutch player uh, for them, kicking the game-winning field goal to, to put uh, the Monarchs on top 13-10 to 10 in their game uh, this weekend. So congratulations, Kyle. And then on defense, um, senior linebacker Armin Wells of center with something like 18 tackles. He made the D3football.com team of the week. Just an impressive um, performance you know, all over the field. Um, normally, you know, most linebackers in box scores, you'll see somewhere between eight and 12 tackles if they're, you know, really having a good game. A guy who gets 18, that's something else. And, and yeah, finally, last but not least, special shout out to um, – C.C. Grant of the Coast Guard Bears. He's actually kind of a contemporary of, of Frank and mine. I mean, he's he's not a, a, a spring chicken by any stretch. Um, and for him to, you know, basically be an assistant coach for such a long time and to finally get his first win as head coach of the Bears, I felt like merited kind of a, that MVP type of type of title. So congratulations, Coach Grant. And uh, we look forward to keeping track of you and the Bears throughout this 2021 season. Interview show comes up tomorrow uh, from uh, our Friday and Saturday uh, night games that we covered. And on Friday, we will have a preview show and uh, interview with our friends from Sewanee, we believe. Uh, we're just trying to get that scheduled up here, and uh, we'll work on that. So we'll keep you updated via Twitter on what's upcoming here. But again, you are watching the best highlight show uh, that I think is out there for Division Three uh, college football uh, with our Crunch Time segment uh, in the huddle, in case uh, folks that you know don't know about us, let them know. We have a lot of new parents across the board here, two years' worth of them yeah. when you think about it. So make sure that they know we exist and uh, get the word out that In the Huddle is back for fall 2021, doing the job that we do every year. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.